how do you how do you discard maybe those things without without losing your soul or, or whatever losing losing the core of what it is that that makes the things that you were told true true um and so so I I, I really struggled with that for a while and then I kind of just stopped caring you are listening to fruitless a podcast hosted by me Josiah Sutton. This is episode, what is it? It's 15 with Josh Borman from Worst of All Possible Worlds, entitled Secular Media and American Loneliness, where we talk about growing up evangelical and also the general loneliness of American life right now. I hope you enjoy Welcome to Fruitless. I am joined today by... Uh, Josh Borman of Worst hello. of All Possible Worlds. Say hello and all that. I am saying hello. Uh, welcome. And I am excited to be uh, hanging out again. It's been a bit. And it's been a minute, yeah. I'm also excited to like do something relatively low energy for once because I feel like our show is just, I am like on. Yeah, it's, it's high um, energy, yeah. And, and so <laughs> I, need to, I need to exist in a slightly less... Uh, manic space today. Yeah. So I hope that's all right with you. No, that's perfect. That's uh, that's what I try. I'm trying to do with fruitless anyway. So mm. it kind of fits it. I, uh, I like the casual conversation. Well, the the subject I gave you broadly was just you are a, a fellow product of the evangelical world, right? Yeah. You were raised broadly. in it broadly, and um, so I, I I I thought it would be interesting since you know you reference that a lot on the show, but you haven't like had an episode where you just kind of talk about your background there with that to kind of get into that subject. Of course, that's a really big subject could go Mm -hmm. anywhere. And so I, uh, I'm kind of good with it going wherever, but I guess maybe, maybe start off good question would just be like, what was your relationship to evangelicalism and when did you kind of feel like you left it? Sure. So, um, I, first of all, should just say, uh, hello, I'm Josh. I'm co-host right, of The Worst yeah. of All Possible Worlds. In case you're not familiar with our show, we do weekly case studies in the pop culture of a dying empire. We have a particular fascination on evangelical culture uh, because it provides a unique window into the reactionary mind. And uh, recapping episodes of Adventures in Odyssey is always a <laughs> good time. Uh, and we've actually had Josiah on the show, so uh, if you're yeah. interested in that, you should go check it out. We had a great time talking about what uh, did we talk about again? I'm trying. We to talked. To, it was a lot of Eugene, Eugene episodes. Okay, it was yeah. it was Eugene centric stuff. Yeah, yeah, which, it was Eugene. It was uh, it was with a oh, what? There was a bunch of pog jokes the whole time. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Because there was it was a lot about uh, Katrina Shanks, who was voiced by Pamela Hayden who, of course, is also the voice of Millhouse. That's so, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so part of the reason, though, that we do talk about evangelical culture and, and, and pop culture especially is that it is what I grew up with, uh, right. as, well as, as well as my co-host, Brian. Um, I would say that I the church that I grew up in was sort of like right on the line between being uh, mainline and being evangelical. Okay, I yeah. think it does <laughs> it, it does ultimately fall down on the evangelical side of things because the focus did end up being first and foremost, you know, how do we go out? How do we save people? How do we reform the world, right? That's in, in the tradition of the Reformed Church. Um, mm-hmm. 
so there there was that um but a lot of my exposure to like the super the super duper evangelical media was actually through uh the local baptist college radio station uh because, oh okay yeah yeah um i grew up in a town called grand rapids michigan uh, there is a, a radio station, 91.3 WCSG, and the tower is in frequency are owned by, <clears throat> or at least leased by, uh, Cornerstone University, uh, yeah, for, yeah. formerly known as Cornerstone College. And before that, I think it was called Grand Rapids Baptist College. Um, and their whole thing was, we need to use the radio as a form of bringing in souls, right? Okay. Yeah. So it was a lot of listening to things like Adventures in Odyssey and um, Christian Top 40 Radio, which, you know, CCM is sort of its whole other parallel world. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, reading books, you know, reading the books that were available because at that time uh, I was, I was, I'm just old enough that I was able to uh, shop in Christian bookstores um, like I'm not mm. quite young enough for when those started to go away, uh, which I think you're maybe slightly on the other end of that uh, yeah, age gap. But I, I did was from from Iowa, and I feel like the culture sure. is a little lagged behind. So I be, be, be behind cosmopolitan <laughs> West Michigan, <laughs> right? Of course, no. But I mean, just even the proximity to large cities is is different yeah. with Michigan versus Iowa. Yeah, and so I don't know the. There were Christian bookstores, but it is something that started disappearing right when I was. Yeah, okay, so that would that would line up actually. Right when I was probably, I never bought anything with my own right. money. Out you while. didn't have your own, like you right. weren't able to go into I a just, family Christian store and spend your own money. No, I was just following around my parents and looking right. at the Adventures and Odyssey tapes or whatever. Right, right. So yeah, it was a lot of consumption of that kind of media, and anybody who. Uh, knows anything about media and knows that the media that you consume often shapes your reality. And that's exactly how it was for me. You know, I was hearing on the one end, these messages uh, about how you ought to be, how your morals ought to be, how you ought to engage with the world. And then I also went to a Christian school, uh, okay, which yeah. was sort of doubling down on the same lessons, just from a pedagogical perspective. Like, I went back uh, through like my box of, of shit that my parents hung on to from when I was a little kid uh, and found a whole bunch of old like homework assignments from second grade, third grade, whatever. And a lot of them are about like, oh, talk about a time that God helped you with, you know, blah, 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 blah. as a writing yeah. exercise, you know, right, like that kind right. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So you're being sort of trained to, if you are somebody who likes to engage with the world intellectually, which I always was, even as a kid, mm -hmm. you know, using my early writing faculties and stuff like that, it was always through the lens of how did God help you do this? Or how do you communicate this thing as an expression of your oh, faith? Yes. And I didn't really even understand, honestly, the idea of creating something that was like, even the idea of if you are a Christian creating something that doesn't talk about God in some way, shape, or form felt impossible. Because why would mm -hmm. you? Why would you ever do something like that? Yeah. Oh, man. This, uh, I find that, yeah, incredibly relatable. That That's absolutely it. Is like, you know, I remember, I remember it being at some Bible camp or whatever, where there was this guy who was bragging about the fact that he stopped reading any books except for the Bible. And mm -hmm. everyone, like, was talking, like, looked at him like, oh, man, this guy's got it. And... <laughs> You know that? Yeah, I, I remember this exact like I don't know. It there, 
That, well, I mean, it, actually, it kind of comes out in the way they talk about like secular culture. The word mm-hmm. word secular is kind of thrown around a lot, right? And what's interesting is like I until you know probably embarrassingly older, like maybe out of high school, early college, didn't realize that secular just meant not religious. I always mm-hmm. meant took it to mean anti-religious, right? Which is like, yeah, just a completely different thing. But that's, it's, that's, there's only stuff that's inside and stuff that's outside with a lot of evangelical culture. There's not like a gray, really. Remind me, you, you grew up, uh, Lutheran Missouri Synod. Is that, no, 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 actually, uh, I'm, I'm also from a reformed denomination. I'm RCA. I was RCA. Oh, RCA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're the, you're, you're the wrong, (laughs) you're the wrong, uh, reformed. You're the wrong one. You're the ones that we had to cleave away from. That, that's that's the funny thing for people who don't know. Um, there was a, a Dutch Reformed church that came over from the Netherlands, of course, and um, was established. And then it didn't take too long because these people were fucking freaks for <laughs> one subset of them to be like, you're not doing it the right way. And we're yeah. going to go ahead and found something called the true Dutch Reformed church. <laughs> <laughs> which ended up, of course, becoming known as the Christian Reformed Church in North America, CRCNA, which is the uh, denomination that I grew up the, in. The rival denomination. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the super interesting. Yeah. So, like, my fast version is my parents, when I converted in, like, 93, and I was born in 97, so they were, like, new converts. And so they originally were at an ELCA church before they started pivoting liberal. Wait, were they Christian? Um, they 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 bec- they didn't. No, they didn't grow, grow up Christian. Christian. They they were born again evangelicals. Interesting. Yeah. So and then that. Uh, yeah. So then you know when I was born in ninety seven, they were going to an ELCA church, which was that was before it pivoted liberal. Sure. So it's just kind of a it was an evangelical church, and they uh, God they hopped around from some churches into some weird charismatic denominations, and then my dad got really into Reformed theology. They found an RCA church rest is history right sure um then uh, you know i spent probably like my teens in the e-free denomination um and then uh left the faith and when i came back i came back as Mm. a lib episcopalian so (laughs) so where sorry where does the rca fall into that then oh so like up until like my teens is would would be when that ends yeah gotcha so So you know what i mean about how like it's not it's not quite evangelical but it's not not evangelical i was gonna say i related to that aspect of of your upbringing also because my church wasn't actually where i got the evangelicalism right and so that's actually why uh the episcopal church kind of fit really naturally to me because Mm. it's the more liturgical stuff yeah and that the liturgical stuff wasn't poisoned as much to me as like the evangelical stuff so the even yeah but the evangelical stuff i got from being homeschooled and being around homeschoolers um, and how that, long were you homeschooled for? Uh, all of, uh, actually, all of my schooling except uh, like a briefly dual enrolled in middle school. Okay. I don't think I knew that you were homeschooled the whole time. The whole time. Now, like my high school experience, there were these like co-ops, which was right. just you know, school for once a week. And then people did homeschool. I remember talking about that with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was my high school experience. But yeah. Um, no, I, I did it the whole way through. Fun. i think uh you know there's aspects of it i like but i think it uh broke my brain also in other ways like just yeah that lack of structure uh (laughs) did did i tell i told you about how at my local homeschool building because i was homeschooled in seventh grade only um i came across a book in that library called the socialization trap which was about (laughs) how like 
you might think that if you homeschool your kids that you need to have them socialize with other kids but you're fucking wrong you monster (laughs) well i know how a lot of the homeschool families dealt with that question was just have enough kids that it does become a social event (laughs) and that was exactly the arg that this book was making yeah of course it was like quiverful shit yeah 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 yeah, okay. So yeah, it, it's kind of a kind of a similar thing where where there's kind of a toe in evangelicalism and toe out kind of same background because that was that was always the thing that was kind of odd is I had fundamentalism floating around but then also my dad, you know, liked philosophy and liked movies and shit. So I was, you know, raised in an evangelical home but exposed to like Coen Brothers movies, which is a weird combination. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just sought out Coen Brothers movies on my own. I remember yeah. the first time I saw a Brother Where Art, I was like, this is, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I grew up as like, that's a movie I'm nostalgic about because my dad yeah, it's would great like, movie. watch it like once a year. So <laughs> Lebowski too. Lebowski's um, great. And yep. I'm trying to just think of like the movies, especially like comedies that really grabbed me. Because going to the point of like, suddenly finding that there's a bigger world out there it was stuff like that uh office space was another one yeah, that yeah. i just loved and still do i went back and watched it that movie really still holds up it, it really does yeah yeah i watched um, that recently too yeah it's it's solid but it, it was like it was consuming then secular media Ooh, um that made me think about life outside the bubble a little bit because even though i grew up reading a lot of different books because i, I was you know, the library was just up the block. Um, I'd go there all the time. The librarians all knew me by name. They'd always have a yeah, new book yeah. to recommend me um, because I was just such a voracious reader. And obviously every librarian loves the little kid who comes in and is like, what new books are there? <laughs> um, right. I, I, I got some exposure to that from reading, but there was something about like, I, I did not have a similar experience with, with film. I was not watching good movies from a young age. I was reading pretty good books from a young age. But yeah, yeah. with movies, it was just like I was mostly eating the gruel. And so there was something about getting the good shit where I was like, oh, there's there 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 is a whole other world of media out there that actually isn't bad like bad in a moral mm-hmm. sense. Like this does not yeah. offend my morals, even being a you know, fourteen year old mostly evangelical teenager mm. trying to figure it out um, yeah there's still plenty of media that wouldn't yeah should it wouldn't offend your morals yeah absolutely like this is this is this is pointing to things that i find to be true in a, in a remarkable fundamentally deep and beautiful and still funny way mm-hmm. um and it's way fucking better than adventures in odyssey you know oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you mentioned coen brothers like even now uh one of the one of the movies that I, I did not watch this one as a kid, but I found it more as an adult and has been really moving to me on like a spiritual level as a serious man, which is a mm. great movie. Um, and it's not a movie I would have watched at that age because sure. I'd be like, well, it's about, uh, let's see, Judaism. And mm. you know, it's, it's, it's not of my faith. It's not about what I, you know, and, and you know, it's not, yeah, we don't want you slipping into temptation. Come right. On. Of course. Of course. But yeah, I, I would say like, I, I felt this, I, I feel like it, a lot of what you're saying too, with like, uh, I don't know, there, there would be cultural objects or whatever that were like out of the periphery that you might hold on to as like, this is an interesting thing that like, you know, whatever I had some of that, but I, I think what was the hardest part to get past for me was, you know, I, I went on and, and studied uh, philosophy in college. Mm. And so like a big part of it was 
Did you I go to spent, a Christian school or where did you I did not from? actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took a year after high school, didn't go to college. Then I went to a community college for the first two years. Okay. And then went to the school I went to is technically a Christian college, but it's like one of the ones that's not a Christian college anymore. Sure. It just was made by the Methodists in the 19th century, um, Simpson yeah. College. Okay. So yeah, a lot of those like Methodist and Congregationalist schools are now technically just, still affiliated, but like. Yeah, they're just a private school. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. No, yeah. So. But like studying like philosophy, especially, which I, you know, I was into by the end of high school and, you know, during the year off, um, was I, I was stuck always having to reconcile philosophies I liked with the worldview I had. I had like this Hmm. ongoing need to like, if I read this, well, how can I actually twist it to be, you know, pro-Christian? So like I, I had this problem in high school of like I got into, I got really into Freud and I still am kind of into, into psychoanalysis and stuff. And sure. so I had to be like, well, uh, it makes sense with Reformed theology because the id is the sin nature. There, I made it make yeah, sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> the it was sin nature. I, I, I do, I do love this. We love the sin nature. We love we, the folks? sin nature. We love it. Um, and it was only, you know, only finally into probably like, you know, once I was like twenty or twenty-one that I was starting to be able to be like, you know, I can just like like a philosophy without mm-hmm. it <laughs> having to reconcile every aspect of it. Or can you? That way lies Satan. <laughs> or so I'm, so I'm told. I, they, so they, I'm told. They, call him, yeah. they call him the tempter for a reason. That's right. I think I think what it would be is the Satan called relativism. That's always oh. the fear. Moral relativism. Oh, maybe God. maybe a Frank Peretti style demon named moral relativism <laughs> perched on your shoulders, <laughs> digging its claws into you. That's right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but I don't know. Did you have that same like need to kind of like reconcile shit? with your worldview whenever you were faced with something outside of it or the interesting thing about the reformed perspective and that's big air quotes for you listening at home is this idea that there is no such thing as something that is truly secular like that Mm -hmm. the ideas of the secular and sacred world that that's sort of a false dichotomy um even though that was a framing that i was very familiar with because again i was listening to so much baptist content (laughs) um the Basically, I um, was listening to a lot of different things at a lot of different points in in trying to make all of it work together, I think, Um, because Mm -hmm. of the fact that, yeah, there were certain ideas that were like held in fundamental tension with each other. And it's like, well, how do you how do you make this work? And also, how do you take the fact that there's a lot of unbelievably annoying shit that doesn't make sense? Mm-hmm. but you're just being told that it does make sense actually over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you discard maybe those things without, without losing your soul or, or whatever, losing, losing the core of what it is that, that makes the things that you were told true, true. Um, And so, so I, I, I really struggled with that for a while and then I kind of just stopped caring, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, 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 it turned out that like a lot of these things that were being presented to me as things that you need to be really, really worried about were yeah. not things that I was worried about. They were just things that I was expected to have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, social attitudes around the way that um, you ought to present yourself, the way that you ought to think about uh, connections, uh, sexuality, things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and all of that and just being like, no, well, maybe 
maybe this is all just stupid and sucks. Um, yeah. That 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 kind of that that was kind of what it was. Honestly, I don't have a more interesting or nuanced answer than that. I wasn't going through a long dark night of the soul. Um, Interesting. I was mostly just being like, oh, no, I kind of hate this, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like I I think with me, I had a much more dark night of the soul kind of, Mm. you know, way out. And um, I think part of that was I think I, I think I internalized it so much that I had a really hard time as I was having my doubts or whatever, reconciling it. And it turned out, it turned into like a just cognitive dissonance all the time rather than sure. Um, just kind of losing it slowly. It just turned into like, you know, uh, and especially even just like s- shitty, like stu like stupid things, not like, not like deep philosophical things, but just like yeah. really, really realizing I hated CCM. <laughs> just, no, <laughs> just didn't like how it sounded. But like, if you you know, like if you don't like that sound of music, that ruins going to church. Yeah, because <laughs> that's yeah. like what they the evangelical churches do as their music. Yeah, you're you not wrong. Can't. Yeah, and so like even though it's a uh, just a stupid cultural like just beef and like not liking the style of music, it it ruins it for you. So I right. would feel guilty about it, and like had that for just like constant sense of guilt for not liking worship music. That's annoying. So when when you were presented with music and you were expected to say wow, yeah, <laughs> you did not. I did not say. Wow in fact, to say CDs. wow to that. I yeah no. Mm. Yeah. And I think I think that's almost part my dad's fault again, too, because, again, he exposed me to a lot of secular media and stuff like that. Mm. Like I mentioned, being into Coen Brothers and stuff. So, like, I don't know. He raised us with, like, Bob Dylan and Dead Kennedys and then was surprised when <laughs> we right. weren't vibing with the CCM shit. Well, OK, so so this is interesting, though. Let's talk about CCM because, yeah. like, it's such a specific thing, right? Um, mm. the, the, the sort of tonal quality of it, the way that the composition works, the way that the songs are like, they're, they're precision engineered to sort of get a very specific emotional response out of you. Yeah. Um, because I did like CCM actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really did. And I think, you know, I, I still have a piece of my heart that is, that exists in abiding love for, uh, cheesy trance music. Um, like Armin Van Buren and Ferry Corsten and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think honestly that it's those really, um, euphoric melodies and, and, and big sing-offs yeah, and, yeah. you know, breakdowns and stuff like that. Those are the trance and CCM have those things in common. Um, and it's yeah. not good, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can't help myself. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it is good at conveying an emotion. There's a handful of yeah. songs that I was I was okay with, but I, I think part of the problem was just, you know, again, if you're a guitar playing teenager, you get roped sure. into playing those songs nonstop also. And, oh, yeah. Um, well, I was a, a piano playing kid, so the chords, love the chords, man. Oh, like, yeah, those that chords would probably are be fun perfect. to play. I bet. Yeah. No, that, that's kind of interesting. I, I think that that would, that would have cha- have like a different experience with it, you know, cause I, I have a few, I have a few friends also who are like really just really liked worship music and you yeah. know, that, that has to be its own kind of weird thing, you know, especially when you leave it. Cause then you have kind of a weird relationship with worship music when you hear it well, probably. It, it's, it, but at the same time, like, although I enjoyed it, I never, those songs never had deep emotional resonance for me. Uh, Okay. Whereas some old hymns uh, do, you know, and I think it's it's very similar. 
like I've talked about this sort of stuff too with um you know like like my Jewish friends who uh have a very strong connection to like the liturgies and the um mm-hmm. you know the the um uh the Kaddish and stuff like that where it's like there's something about those words being spoken in particular or or sung in the way that they are always spoken and sung at very specific and high uh impact points in your life yeah you know you go yeah, to a funeral absolutely. and uh you hear great is thy faithfulness and it that's going to be hard to get through you know like mm-hmm. it it, it there's something very emotional about this idea of like, even though things suck, there's also good things out there and I'm going to yeah. get through it. That is very, very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, especially you mentioning old hymns, I think, especially because for me, that's that's what I found as I've gotten older, too, is that mm-hmm. I just I get more emotional reaction out of that stuff yeah. than something that feels like it's trying really hard with reverb mm-hmm. pedals to make me feel an emotion. The exactly. hymns just have a piano and they tell you what they're saying in a very straightforward way. And then I don't know, because of that, there's a lot of emotions I can project onto, you know, come thou fount or whatever. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I'm just, (laughs) now I'm just going to really dunk. Um, I mean, there, there is nothing, there is nothing to the lyric. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful (laughs) name it is. The name of Jesus. That's nothing. That doesn't mean That's nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It it yeah, because yeah, the hymns just have I don't know they they do have just something like lyrically that still is it's communicating. Well, it has specificity to it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's communicating an actual place, an actual feeling, and an actual sense of something. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's something too that like really frustrated me about uh, because again, it was it, when it came to CCM. What I was holding on to was the 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 melodies, right, and the production, not the actual lyrics, right. But then okay, yeah. when I started to think about it, it was like there's nothing there, and 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 being so surprised in general with so many aspects of sort of contemporary American Christianity, where there was just so little, there there was nothing under the hood, and and the moment that you tried to figure something out and you tried to question uh anything. It was shut down because why? Why would you ever want to question anything? Like God is in control, and you're, you're like every. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would use the church and the faith as a panacea uh, for difficult experiences or questions that they otherwise would have been asking. And yeah. there's something very painful to me about having seen a lot of people really just kind of shut down rather than trying to figure out what it is that they want and need in life. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just, I find that unconscionable. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely it. I mean, the, the constant, I don't know, de- dealing with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of personal turmoil or whatever, and you combine that with just the combined... Uh, just just constantly looking behind the curtain and saying there's nothing there with yeah. a lot of evangelical media is it's a constantly dispiriting thing and so it's it's you know you either just don't ever try to look behind the curtain or when you do you know eventually it wears down and I think it just breaks down people's faith like I don't I yeah. think I think evangelicalism is like hostile and oftentimes if you were not a convert it is hostile probably mm-hmm. to maintaining your faith if you're raised in it. I, I think if you are the kind of person that likes to ask questions. Well, and I think that's because evangelicalism, at least traditional American evangelicalism, has kind of a sales first mentality, right? Yes. Like 
you're always supposed to be out there and and winning souls, right? It mm. is it is primarily and fundamentally predicated on this idea that if your faith is strong, you're going to be able to go out there and get other people in, and that mm-hmm. their faith will make your faith stronger, and we'll big we'll build this sort of uh, let's call it a pyramid of faith, maybe where. <laughs> You know, the faith of everybody in your downline rolls back up to your faith. Yeah, so you want to be making sure you... (laughs) And if you you get enough people to enjoy your faith, we have this set of fantastic knives. (laughs) If you ever wanted to be your own boss. (laughs) If you ever wanted to be your own preacher. There you go. Does that make sense, though? I mean, no, like, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think that's that's it's it's a lot about getting people in, but not mm-hmm. like maintaining something. And like, I think that's, um, I don't know. I think that's that's the issue that a lot of evangelicalism deals with is just the inability to, uh, ma- like maintain a community without it eventually turning yeah. into. Well, I mean, maybe their their beliefs of hierarchy probably cause this turn into abusive and self destructive situations. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes. Yeah, You know, like you you could, you know, if you like didn't know the second half of the Mark Driscoll story and you were just hearing the conversions and you were an evangelical, I I don't at all. I'm not at all surprised you would be like, this is dope as shit because it's all about the first part. And then the other shoe drops. Yes. (laughs) It's uh, it's an environment that encourages a lot of um, a lot of narcissists to kind of put themselves in position of power. I think that's just been repeatedly shown as true. I don't know. Yeah, I and I I didn't experience personally that super manipulative type of leadership. Um, I didn't have a in my own either. life. I, I was I mean, look, I I the pastors who I grew up, uh, you know, the, that that were the pastors of my church. Um, there mm-hmm. were really two of them. Um, there was there was the one pastor who was up until maybe around my teenage years, uh, and then he retired, and then the other pastor who took over. Uh, was was there up until I was no longer you know going to church because I went off went to college etc. Um, but like good men, empathetic people, you know, people yeah. who really really care. And it was interesting too because when I went to last year, I went to a funeral. Um, and I it was at the at the church that I grew up in, and I saw that pastor who is not the pastor there anymore. Um, but he still goes there. Mm-hmm. And I saw him and that was the most probably, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's unfair to say like, cause I don't go back very often, probably the most emotional reunion that I had yeah. during my time being back. And it, it, it was like, even though I wouldn't say that I ever like <laughs> went up to him when he was a pastor and was like, pastor, I have questions about the Bible or anything like yeah. that. It was just more, I remembered him. He remembered me. He saw that I was in a time of really deep, deep sorrow. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that he had experienced deep, deep sorrow, too, because he just lost his wife a couple years ago. Oh, um, and it was just like, yeah, you see me and I remember you. And I remember how much you loved me uh, when, you know, I was mm-hmm. one of your one of your flock, as it were. Um, and it was really powerful. And th- those are the sorts of things about the church and community of the church that that it's, that really yeah. Yeah. hit still, mm-hmm. but there's so much fucking bullshit, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. and that sounds so millennial. It's like, oh, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think that my ideal church, but it's like, yeah, whatever. But I don't know. No, I, 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 I yeah, thinking through a lot of this for a long time. Also, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's, it's 
church has like a really important place in a lot of people's lives. And it, it had an important place in my life for a good chunk. And, you know, I think, I think it probably speaks to some sort of failure of, I don't know, institutions in America or whatever, that there aren't many equivalents. And I'm not saying like necessarily that there need to be like, I don't know that we need to find ways to make clubs into churches or something. But like, I feel like even 50 years ago, hundred years ago or something, even the bar would maybe be more of yeah. an experience of like, this is my, you know, my buddy who knows me that I, and I come here every day or something like that. Yeah. Like, no, I just, of there's no sense of community anymore. And so I think because of that, it, it makes, it makes stepping away from evangelicalism really hurt because you had an abusive community sometimes, yeah. but yeah. a community nevertheless. Yeah, I, I mean, it's that's what, you know, Robert Putnam talks about in Bowling Alone, right? It's like this idea that where did these institutions go, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why? because like the, the example that he uses obviously in Bowling Alone is the bowling league where mm-hmm. back in the 60s, everybody bowled in a league. It was just kind of the thing to do. Um there still are bowling leagues, obviously, but uh, I am personally a very passionate bowler, um, and I've seen, and even the, over the course of my lifetime, I've seen bowling go from something where, you know, it's a maybe a bit marginalized, but there's still a lot of leagues and people take it seriously, to something that is almost exclusively used for, like, birthday parties, um, or, you <laughs> right, just, right. or you just go to the lanes and you bowl alone, um, but but there's not so much of this social capital of people showing up to the same thing every week, spending time together, being in community with each other. And that is something that is really important. Um, and, and I feel like especially with the with the pandemic, a lot of the remaining yeah. stuff that we had just got the heart ripped out of it. Yeah. And I don't know where we go from here, honestly, because There does seem something peculiarly American to me about this as well. You know, Mm -hmm. when I went back to the UK, I I was I was back in London in um, God, when was it like May? And there is a much stronger sense there of social cohesion. And it's not good to be clear. Things are not good in the UK right now. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, it, like in the in pubs are certainly not what they were pre pandemic. Yeah. But there is still a, a, a stronger, I think, more vibrant sense of that kind of community than there is here. We've become so atomized. And when you hear people talk about this in the context of the church, which they often do, it's like, well, how do we get these teens back into the church? And it's like you're missing the point entirely. The, the, yeah. the, the, the way I see it, the issue is not oh, they don't love God enough and we need to be more doctrinaire about it so that they understand God better to keep them in the church. It's people have been failed by every institution imaginable and why should the church be any different? That Oh, that's a great way. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, because I mean, like, I I think if if anybody did genuinely like, um, like the Episcopal Church is got an insane decline right now. So there's a lot of conversation among Episcopalians of like, how do we save the church here? Mm, People, people don't come. And I mean, one of the probably best ways anyone, you know, could make a church attractive is by just conveying that it's not going to be an abusive environment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like finding a way to just genuinely convey, like, you're not going to get here, you know, and then just get fucking railroaded you know i mean like, that could be that, that that could be difficult though because if you do it the wrong way then you know your shirt is answering a lot of the questions <laughs> right <laughs> people will be asking questions 
yeah, walk, about your shirt. <laughs> Questions are already addressed on it. My church I, does not abuse children, <laughs> things like that, you know. But yeah, I mean, aside from that, but you're also right, it's just like beyond just church, it's just more like, I mean, you know, the the fact that, that people aren't going to church is one of many of the institutions that are eroding right now. Right. Like people just don't know how to communicate with each other anymore. I, I was thinking of, you, you mentioned COVID especially, I've been thinking about this since COVID because I, uh, uh, I was working at a coffee shop when COVID hit and so I had to quit and the my life before the pandemic and afterwards like before the pandemic i would you know if i was working that evening say i might go to the coffee shop a couple hours early and read with the mm-hmm. assumption i would probably run into somebody i knew and then we right. might go grab lunch or something yeah. before my shift and that just happened all the time and it happened to me recently where i went to that i went to a coffee shop ran into somebody i hadn't seen in like a year and got chatting and you know like it happened again and i was like I haven't had this happen to me in like two, three years. And this is what I, my daily life used to be like. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And people miss it. Like fundamentally there, there is a desire for that, but also, I don't know. Another analogy that I could use for this or not analogy, another example of like Mm -hmm. communities breaking down. This is a big problem in theater right now. And um, being somebody who uh, has worked in theater quite a bit, not currently, but you know, I, eventually probably will end up getting sucked back into it again because (laughs) you know theater theater is (laughs) the way that some people talk about like drugs and shit that's just theater for me it's like (laughs) i i know it's not good for me i know that it's going to take away so much of my life and my money and my time but i can't help myself i gotta get into that theater um But there was an article in the Times about how uh, the traditional institutional theater, which has has in terms of uh, tickets, really relied on this 50 to 70 year old demo to like buy full season packages and come to every show. That model is falling apart because they're not suddenly with, with the pandemic. Suddenly everybody was like, "Okay, what do I really value? What do I really want? What do I want to do? What do I want to be? What do I want to see? Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of them being old people with bad taste were like, well, I don't want to have to be subjected to anything that doesn't fully line up with what I'm expecting. You know, I don't want these woke plays, <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> right, right. Um, and on the other end, I think some people it, it, just in good faith realized, oh, yeah, I don't I don't miss this. <laughs> right. And so they stopped going. Same thing happened with church, right? You're, yeah. A lot of people just weren't really being provided for by the community in a meaningful way. They were just doing it to do it. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, people have become a lot more um, selective about what they want to do. And they're sort of applying a framework of, well, what kind of value does this deliver to me? Yeah. But I think on the flip side, because people are less willing to just do things for the sake of doing them, you have fewer of those casual surprising interactions that actually make life interesting and that's a bummer yeah yeah i agree yeah that's i i I think you're you're absolutely right like people are are kind of like catering their social experiences in a sense to like try to make sure that they don't have to deal with yeah weirdness like you're mentioning there but uh, yeah it's what's hard is like imagining what to even how to even fix this as a problem like Obviously, as an individual, I don't even know, but like even just in a more collective sense, like how do we create more community? And especially like so like after COVID, for instance, I actually returned to church after COVID was when I mm. first I started going back after, you know, spending about three years 
um, out of it. And it was in part because, you know, I kind of had, I wasn't in church and then went to COVID and realized I didn't, but I was like dealing with the COVID loneliness. And I think that brought me more that direction, but I was going to say the outside of a church, the only one of the big, only times I felt that deep, like, like we've been talking about that deep emotional sense of community was actually the protests that year. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, like, I mean, same. Uh, yeah, I, those were like borderline religious experiences for yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, New York in 2020 was fucking crazy, especially that summer. Um, it was just part of it was I had um, it, at the very beginning of the pandemic, like right at the very beginning, you know, I have a I have a pretty serious like disease uh, that at the time when news about the pandemic was coming through, it's like, oh, shit, will this kill me? And I had the ability to, uh, at that point, go to um, a really isolated place, honestly, and, and, and shelter in place there in Michigan for a while. I don't regret that decision. I think it was the right thing to do at the time, given what I knew, because I wanted to, I, first of all, it was something that was available to me. And secondly, I wanted to keep my neighbors safe. I didn't want to, like, part of it was protecting myself, but part of it also was protecting everybody around me. Right. Um, but I remember then being in just totally isolated in the middle of nowhere seeing these reports coming in about what was happening you know i was uh for a time helping some friends who were out there like on the streets i was watching the police scanner and map and stuff like that and being like heads up there are police over here um oh wow yeah sort of like being be, <laughs> doing my lifelong dream of being the guy at the computer in a <laughs> in a in a fucking uh procedural yeah, you know yeah just dramatic like i'm in <laughs> i'm in <laughs> careful <laughs> there's a there's a there's a group of there's a group of police coming down west broadway make sure to divert your tracks um and then getting back yeah. and like being like literally getting back and, and going across the fucking um was it the Brooklyn Bridge and like that there were protesters on the bridge and like we had snacks in the back of our car They're like here have some snacks have some water have some whatever um yeah. it felt like this incredible inflection point um and then it all just went away because uh the 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 government did as is always the case just enough to diffuse yep. sort of the absolute edge of the protest and um Oh, it felt like this incredible moment where anything could happen. And then it just kind of didn't. It's, um, you know, uh, I, I think there's a, this is the, this is part of why I had, uh, a lot of emotions while playing, uh, disco Elysium mm. because I, I think that like the last few years has been a real sense of living in the like wake of a failed revolution. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I mean, that's frankly what it feels like. I, I you know, I, you know, I, I think there was a moment that beyond just like the more, you know, the, the actual demands of fixing policing, there was just a sense of like getting to know your neighbor again that mm -hmm. seemed to take place when everyone came out mm -hmm. and protested. And I, you know, especially when it was a few months into COVID. So you hadn't seen a lot of friends and you end up in the streets and like, yeah, that was a, that was a crazy summer for me as well. Like I I've talked about this on this show a few times, so I don't want to, uh, you know, rehash it for anyone who'd be bored with me talking about it. But I would say like, it was, it was an insane, uh, same summer because Des Moines, Iowa is not a big place. And yet right. we had like fucking tanks coming out. Like it was right. like, we, you know, and you know, just realizing my tiny town was this funded by cops 
We just right. got crushed. But there were like three or four weeks at least of just like actually Des Moines feeling like a city I would want to live in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the town that I, uh, again, grew up in, Grand Rapids, um, you know, we... Th- you might have heard it was it was in 2022. It was last year, but um, mm-hmm. you might have heard that story about the the cop that in it, Patrick uh, Leoya uh, was the the name of the man who there was a cop who just like apprehended him, kneeled on him, and then uh, just fucking executed him basically. Um, mm-hmm. Just shot him straight up. Uh, yeah. police of course tried to claim that he had a weapon on him and he was you know oh they both reached for the gun like literally the thing from Chicago the musical right. um, <laughs> but like no he executed him you know and and there's been something so disheartening about seeing the way that violence state sanctioned violence the way that the state has the monopoly over the use of force and will not hesitate to use it in any way shape or form and Mm -hmm. and that said use of force will generally be backed up by christian people and and churches and things like that because that was the other thing about that really brief window i'm so glad you brought this up yep yeah no go 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 for it no no, No, you go for it well i mean i was i was gonna say just that that was one of the weirdest parts of that time for me is going out in the streets, having probably some of the most religious feeling experiences I'd had in years, just being around people, the, you know, fighting for a cause that was just, um, and seeing on Facebook, the people I grew up with, not only just cheering on the cops, but actively wishing that I would get harmed, you know, like they wouldn't say that to me specifically, but they'd be like, somebody should, you know, drive through these protesters. And then that happened. And that did happen. And like, I don't know. That was that was the weirdest thing was people I looked up to and respected and I grew up with, um, whether they realized it or not, actively wishing that I would be killed. But I think also that something was surprising was was the flip side to that, where there were some again, just for a very brief period of time there, there were a lot of evangelical uh, and, and more conservative like Christian people, churches. Um, who were at the very least saying the words Black Lives Matter, even if they yeah. didn't fully know what they were saying, they were at least making what appeared to be at the time a genuine attempt. That's a great point, too. Yeah. Um, but that didn't stick around for very long either, because it was it was pretty easy to defang these very specific political demands by being like, well, ultimately, this is just about people being mean racists and. Mm-hmm. If we just listen to each other and if we just open up our hearts, then we can solve racism and and, and completely ignoring any of the actual material demands that, of course, create the structural reality yeah. of racism because that's easier to do. Um, and, and, and so there was so much. I remember that, too, being so much emphasis on for, for some churches that wanted to appear at least moderate saying a lot of the words, but doing yeah. very little in terms of actual concrete action. Yeah. Um, which, again, disheartening. Um, very disheartening. But not surprising. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we were lucky enough that, like, some of the liberal churches around here turned out. They they would send their their pastors in. And th- and there's something about, like, um, like, at least a mainline pastor in the cleric outfit walking alongside protesters. Mm-hmm. I thought that yeah. was 
just at the very least pretty powerful as a uh, optical thing or whatever. But yeah, I mean, you're right that like, yeah, there, there was a brief moment where it felt like some evangelicals were, you know, kind of reflecting on it. I think there's there's been a handful of things lately in evangelicalism that I think I, I've watched some of the more good hearted uh, parents of my friends and stuff like that have some questioning moments. I think Robbie mm-hmm. Zacharias was a big one recently as well. Do, do you know, did you follow that much? I didn't follow it. I mean, I'm familiar with him, but. Uh, no, that he, he got outed as a sex pest after he died. Oh, okay. And that, that shook, at least among like some of, uh, some of the people I grew up around, that, that was really shocking for them. And a lot of, you know, I, I you know, I, there were a lot of, I, I saw a lot of former evangelical moms like reading like Jesus and John Wayne for a bit. Sure. And it was kind of <laughs> like cool. But then again, just kind of fizzled out. And I do, I do want to get Kristen on the show sometime. She's a professor at the school that I at went Calvin, to. Calvin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's, she seems really great. Yeah. She's like one of the few remaining academics at that school that, that Calvin is a fucking shambles, dude. Like I, yeah, it's, it, it's there. There's a few, again, it's, a, there's a few professors who are, who do genuinely good work who are still holding on. And I don't know why I genuinely don't know why. <laughs> like it's, it's up to them, I guess it's, it's their decision. And I do understand how, if you've been in place somewhere for a very long time, the idea of going somewhere else is scary, particularly if you have tenure. Um, but that you want to talk about like evangelical or evangelical ish uh, institutions that have fucking fallen apart. I, it, it's so depressing to see what has happened to Calvin College specifically. And a lot of that actually did have to do with sort of the twin economic pressures of like what's going on in higher education more broadly, which is yeah. to say people are now asking if the money is worth it because the sticker price is just so stupid high. Yep. And then on the other hand, the social pressures of the contrasts that were really brought out by the past few years. Mm. Um, it's become, I think, in many ways, just a fully nakedly reactionary institution. And mm-hmm. it was never truly progressive. Like it was the kind of place where, you know, you could get expelled for having sex, uh, <laughs> things right. like that. But, <laughs> right. oh, it's it. I do remember that there were at least, you know, every single professor who really gave a shit about me there is now gone. They're, they're somewhere else. Um, and, and I double majored too. So like that's, so that's, that's a lot two, of professors. That's yeah. two full departments that are just, that have had pretty much complete turnover now. Yeah. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, I don't know if that's connected or not. It's just a thought that no, I had no, about I the think... degradation of these institutions, I guess. Well, I, I think in general, there's it, it's funny because it's I'm not going to go to bat for evangelicalism 10 years ago. But I think there's a, a degradation of evangelicalism that's yeah. taken place. And not to be cliche, but I mean, it really has been since Trump. I yeah. think is really. Oh, been, no, absolutely. That's not it, cliche at all. That's just an observation of material reality. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, a big part of why, I mean, I, I really kind of left the faith like right around the early days of the Trump advent when I went mm. into, you know, for a while. And like, it was because of that. I, I watched like so many people I'd looked up to going after somebody that I just clearly saw was against the values that they had raised me with. And it was just like, this doesn't add up anymore. And that was kind of the final final straw for me yeah but like you know i think that in general i've just kind of watched this happen where like some of the more like nice like moms of my you know friends that i grew up with have just become complete 
psychos. Were yeah, like, now I, they're moms for liberty or whatever. Yeah, and now they're, you know, like, I man, I, I know a, f- a friend of my mom's who is refusing to get the vaccine and will not be able to get a life-saving surgery because she is so insistent on not taking the Come vaccine. Come on, dude. Like, that just makes me angry, honestly. It's insane. Like, it, it's just, oh. because Because it's so fucking stupid. And I don't tolerate stupidity well, <laughs> having grown up around a great deal of it. It's mm-hmm. just this abject ignorance. And, yeah. and, and it comes from this place where, like, your ideological framework gets in the way of your ability to process information in a rational, in any sort of a rational way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then it's like, well, what, what, is there even a way out of this? I, I don't know if there is. I get, I go back and forth on this, too, to, to the Trump point, like... I've been bouncing around back and forth on, like, will the Trump, if Trump's convicted, which I personally expect that he will be, unless they, unless uh, he manages to, like, pardon himself because he gets elected president before the trial finishes, which is also a possibility. Um, Like, I think the Trump conviction will have effects for the idea of the rule of law, right? Like... It will explicitly make it so that Trumpism is effectively an illegal movement. But does that actually make things better in a practical sense? Does that decrease or increase the likelihood of civil war? Like, these are right. not questions that we've had to think about in the past in this country in this way. No. And, and you know, like, yeah, th- that, that would increase the chance of civil war. But then also, like, well, would it even be right to not charge somebody if it would cause a civil war like well you know isn't there also just the right decision rather than the pragmatic decision here to charge him like i i don't know it's it's i i go back and forth on whether it would oh you have be... to charge him you have I mean, to charge him like, i think it, that's it's you, you can't not like because yeah. that because that communicates then that you can keep doing this that exactly. this is acceptable that attacking democracy is fine yeah and like and not could, just not just attacking de- i mean i, well, I don't and, really care about the idea of like attacking democracy uh, sorry sure, you didn't sure. say it that way i don't know why i said it that way <laughs> um but like look if, if you if you have a country and you have this document that is the law of the land and that yeah. document has been egregiously violated in numerous ways there needs to be a consequence for that or yeah you or the idea of the rule of law is a complete fucking joke it's it's yeah absolutely yeah, I, I, even though I hate the Constitution, I think it's a shitty fucking document. No, I, but like, I, yeah, I, I hate the Constitution because I like democracy. There you that's go. right. Oh, good uh-huh. for you. Good for you. <laughs> no, um, you're saying you're the one saying go, Robert Mueller, and the rule of that's law. right. That's right. Yeah. The rule. <laughs> no, but like, I think it's it's naturally it's going to happen. But then, yeah, I mean, are we are we about to have a fucking civil war because the rot is just so deep? And what's weird is just like knowing. That the the insurrectionary faction would be the people I grew up around. Like yeah. those are the those are the people that'd start setting off the bombs. You know, like yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird weird uh it's weird to come out of this like culturally come out of like Christian conservatism. I think. Well, and here's a question that I have, I guess, because you 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 mentioned that yeah the 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 contradictions have been heightened by the Trump administration. Right. Obviously. Absolutely. That's, that's a, that's a very original statement. That's something nobody's ever said before. No one's ever said this before. Um, <laughs> I personally am always saying this, but nobody else has ever said it. Um, do you think that like, like how much of it is chicken and egg? You know what I mean? Like did, did mm-hmm. evangelical conservatism create Trump or did Trump shape the movement in his own image? Or is it a little bit of both? Uh, it's, it's both. Um, I, but I, I, I'm, it is a chicken and egg situation because it's hard to even, 
answer that because uh, so the contradictions were there, obviously. And there's something to the idea that like, if Trump didn't exist, it would be necessary for evangelicals to create him. You know what I right. mean? Like, I think that well, they, they, they did it before with George W. Bush, right? Like, right. I think that Trump, though, is like even more than Bush in like, I mean, just an explosion of it. Right. Because right. I think the how repressive evangelical Christianity tends to be, there's an outlet for that. And you want it to be this horny rage monster right. that, you know, wants to go and fucking you know, like unleashing all of your dark impulses, right? As a person. Yeah. So I think there's an a, an extent to which like a Trump-like figure was necessary because there needed to be a way to like engage in direct sadism while still like justifying it as your own, you know, within your own religious views. And so you needed yeah. somebody who's, who's, he's like David, you know, he's flawed, but like we're all getting off on his cruelty. And that's like what they, they don't want to admit. Right. Yeah, no, and they never will. Uh, but but you're exactly right that it's the it's these deep <clears throat> impulses of of anger that they that they are not able to express directly because mm-hmm. you know this as well as I do. Uh, in sort of the traditional evangelical way of living, the one thing you can't be is angry, right? Um, yeah. Not directly, <laughs> which isn't to say that these people aren't angry. They're filled with anger. Um, and yeah. I grew up being filled with anger and and if you want to you know connect it back to the whole question of like oh well what was your you know how does this how does this part of your upbringing pull through to who you are now um you know i i grew up really with this anger about a lot of things in my life a lot of material circumstances the thing the the the, the reality of, of mm-hmm. again the disease that i have like being like well, why the fuck did i get dealt this hand um yeah and then when i became an adolescent you know as as i hit puberty and really started to feel like feel my feelings um mm. i was just so 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 angry and that anger carried through as well into uh college when i i was even angrier when i got to college because i think i thought on some level well i'll go out i'll be on my own i'll be a bit more independent and then all of these sort of strange things that have been forced upon me um will sort of start to fade into the background and i can become a self-actualized, you know, individual. Yeah. But I made the mistake of going to a fucking evangelical Christian college. And so it just got worse. Yeah. And built up probably a lot of resentment. I mean, so like, much resentment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, 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 believe it. I, I can't even put words to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I didn't want to acknowledge it. I didn't want to acknowledge the idea that I was an angry person because Christians aren't angry. Christians aren't angry. Christian, like you can have yep, your righteous yep. anger, like Jesus when he flipped the tables, but like you're not allowed to be angry because that is in direct, uh, you know, uh, contradiction with the idea of being gracious and you know presenting all of these other supposedly Christ-like attributes. But that way of looking at it is actually not about doing those things at all. It's just about suppressing how you really feel. And so I think you're exactly mm-hmm. right that that Trump creates that release valve that they are not willing to give themselves. And uh, that is also why they won't talk about it directly. They won't say, uh, by and large, yeah, I fucking love when he goes up there and, you know, says what he says about immigrants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because that's not politic. That's not the way that things are done. That's not kind. That's not nice. That's not polite. You can't get away with that in Ottawa County, Michigan. <laughs> but, but what you can do is you can create sort of a, a, an imagined enemy 
you can create the woke, right? Yep. And then that becomes the thing that you can pin everything to. What you're not allowed to do, though, is attack a target with specificity because that's mean, that has rage to it, that has anger. But if you're directing that rage in a righteous way, in a holy way, again, toward the woke, then you're good. Then you're like Jesus. Then you're flipping over the tables yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little long-winded, but I mean, that, that's no, sort of no, like, yeah. I think, how those concepts connect. I think it I think it connects really nicely. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I remember this, this absolute, the same kind of like hostility to anger. And it's, it's, it's so weird how it's, it's anger is getting more and more accepted among evangelicals in the last few years yeah. in light with the release valve that was Trump. But, but that being said, to answer like your, your original question about the kind of chicken and egg situation with yeah. Trump and evangelicals, I also think Trump is adjusting evangelicals in his own image. And I think, I think that comes yes. out in, the kind of what we were talking about here, that anger is getting more acceptable among evangelicals in the last few years. Yes. That's the Trumpification of yes. evangelicals. Yes. You know, and you also see that with the uh, the rise in like the growth of the Southern Baptist Church and the way that like Trump has been bringing people into the Southern Baptist Church, which is like becoming, you know, coming kind of, kind of a crisis between the moderates and the like insane reactionaries right. within the church because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a slow takeover happening of that denomination from being a conservative denomination to being a full out rabid fascist denomination. And a lot of it is, you know, the encouragement of, you know, like culture war shit driving people into churches for yeah. political reasons. Yes, yes. Well, in, in that, it's not just the SBC where that's happening either. Like, it, just to go back to the CRCNA again, um, mm. we... It's funny, I still think of it as we. It's still technically my church. I'm still technically a member. Um, the <laughs> I don't tithe, though. <laughs> um, You're a bad we, member, but a member. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, at Synod this past year, uh -huh. you know, the, the big governing convention where they vote right. on what the church's official policies are going to be, uh, there was a big to-do over um, this paper that had been brought forward where they were that ultimately they did a committee the committee came out with this series of recommendations uh about uh they called it the human sexuality report or the hsr and mm. um fundamentally their guidance on this was we need to affirm the position that the idea of having a gay thought isn't a sin, but acting on a gay thought is. Oh, um, this is similar it, to what happened in the LCMS, I bet. And so uh, this, this is something they'd been kicking the can down the road on for a bit. And so they had to come back and they had to make a decision because one of the churches in the denomination ordained a gay, I want to say elder, um, mm -hmm. and that forced the issue, right? Because if the idea is in this church, it is a confessional issue that, you know, gay sex is a sin, basically, in that yeah. same-sex relationships are sinful, uh, then you, you can't ordain a gay clergy member, and you certainly can't perform same-sex marriages. Um, right. And so this this came to a head at Synod this past year. And there were some guys who I like I, I watched a bit of the debate both this year and last year, because it was actually mm -hmm. this this has been an issue for the past couple of years. Um there were some fascists. Um, I would like to just make a couple things clear, Mr. Chairman, for all of us, and that is women in office and racial minorities have been mentioned multiple times, cited in relation to Neyland's Ave Neyland Avenue as well as the HSR. Again, 
unless any of us would say differently, Mr. Chairman, which I hope we would not, conflating race, ethnicity, and being a female with homosexual sex and same-sex marriage is a very dangerous place to go. We're also not isolating this particular sin, Mr. Chairman. I believe uh, we're being specific. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, uh, we are referencing a particular case in which one of the sins in the HSR was violated by an office bearer. And as of today, we have officially voted to grant this a confessional status in this HSR is what I'm referring to. Mr. Chairman, I'd like all of us to think about this. If this body claims to be a family, then we should not be urging churches and classes to spur the guidance and the decision and the wisdom of this body. Thank you. We have mourned and lamented the way we've dealt with our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We have just set the bar impossibly high to do that in love. I don't know how we do that when you come, people who are seeing the gift. I wish we had the breath to interpret these scriptures as not pertaining to homosexual activity in a committed marriage. We can still have a high standard of marriage. But now you have these folks... <clears throat> Mr. Chairman, point of order. We yes. just made a decision. And you have the gall to stand up there and tell the body that you are not going to abide by what the body decided and what they gave the general secretary to do. Please stop. Like I, I don't feel yeah. I don't feel like it's an exaggeration to say that. That in the way that they were presenting, in the way that they were appealing. Uh, to sort of certain standards of tradition and, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. It's like, no, I see you. Like, yeah. you might not be like a fully paid up member of the Proud Boys, but that is your ideology. And you yeah. are seeking to take the church in that direction. And that's exactly what happened. Um, the, 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 the report passed, uh, and then this year they doubled down on it. They sanctioned the church that uh, ordained the, the gay elder and um, it is now fully a confessional issue that in the CRC, uh, no homo is the law of the land. And it was and, one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen. Was it? I, was I, it? I mean, what was it? I, and of, of course, it's it's homophobic either way. But did they come down on the decision that even the having the gay thought is the sin? Like just no. having the urge? Okay. No, because that's never been like the the, the, well, the, the the CRC did their original report on uh gay shit back in like the 70s i want to say like they were actually a little ahead of the curve on this for uh evangelical yeah. denomination and that was the conclusion they came to at the time so the question was should we just reaffirm that mm -hmm. or should we there's also some horrible horrible fucking mealy mouth language about uh whether or not uh being trans is okay they don't really come down on it one way or the other. They just talk about how like we need to we need to give them care and we need to give them support and well, yeah. we need to show them and, Christ's love. And, what, and like, what does that support mean? What does that love mean? Like, what is that? You know, like like what it materially? What does it's, that look like? It, well, it, and it doesn't say. It's and so it shockingly vague and intentionally so because when it comes down to again everything to do with like same sex marriage and uh, and gay clergy members, it is crystal fucking clear it, yeah and um, that's that's always the question i ask when i when i've talked to evangelicals about like about this before where i've gotten into this these kind of discussions where they're like well look you know my church's position is that homosexuality is a sin but it's between you and god 
and you know, we're not going to cut down, you know, come down on you or whatever. It's, it's something you come to on your own. I'm like, that sounds great. Can an elder be gay? Mm -hmm. Because that's what the question is. Right. Uh, you know, oh, we'll love them. We'll support them, whatever. But like materially, are you excluding them (laughs) from aspects of the church? Then like, you're not supportive, you know? And so just, just fucking admit it. But I, you know, you know, I was going to say with the the LCMS um, version of this was was almost more extreme than what you were describing in the reform denomination there, because, um, you know, I, I, I talked about this on Mammonberg before, but they, they their report on like, I think it was the updated concordance. I'd have to double check. But, you know, the statement it had about sexuality was that it's a sin, but being gay is not a sin. Right. Like you can't doing something yeah. with it which is the traditional conservative that's the CRC position. position essentially that's that's what i was raised on that's what people were mad at oh huh. and that was what scared me with a lot of the fascists in the lcms the open fascists like cory right. Mahler and stuff right 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 was the church was really like coming to grips with the fact that there was no longer just good old-fashioned homophobia but truly genocidal people yes. in the church yes and that's you know, and I feel like that's what a lot of churches have been going through right now is even the most conservatives are suddenly waking up and realizing that they're in a fascist church, that their congregation has become fascist yeah. overnight. Well, and, um, and I think I think in the case of um, CRCNA specifically, that these guys who I noticed at Synod as clearly being fascists, I mean, again, mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I'll see if I can send you some clips or whatever, because I'm, I, I don't yeah, use sure. the term fascist lightly. There yeah. is a very specific aesthetic. There is a very specific way of talking. There is a very specific like sense of authority that they that they regard and refer to in a very specific way. Um, and and I think the only reason that these people have not been outed as out and out fascists is that nobody's bothered to look into it. Frankly, um, like there was this one guy from fucking yep. Indiana where I was like, oh yeah, no, he's just like the way that he's dressed, the way that he does his hair, the way that he is talking, the way that he is, the way that he is like appealing to authority in a way that is directly threatening to other people who are in this synod. It so clearly shows that he regards them as beneath him. Um, And that's, that's, that's fucking scary to me. Um, But uh, where was I going with this thought? (laughs) Oh, just that for, I think for these people, um, this, this is a big dub, obviously. This is a huge dub for them. I don't think they'll stop because the nature of the reactionary movement, of course, is to pull things further and further back into an imagined past. And so that probably means that at some point there'll be like the 1970 whatever report actually didn't go far enough. We didn't quite get it right in the first place. We also need to make the adjustments in the same way that you were mentioning to be like, no, homosexuality is just straight up, a, is straight up sinful. Yeah, being um, homosexual being is gay a sin. it's it's sinful yes. actually Oy. and uh yeah <sighs> yeah it doesn't yeah, matter that, if you act on it or not doesn't matter if you are a man who has sex with another man at the end of the day if you're a little swishy um you're out you're out what? see ya yeah i mean that and that always that always just i don't know that mentality drives me insane because you know the only way i was able to maintain you know, as you know, into like, I mean, it, it really started fading by the end of high school, but even maintain the conservative position on that as a young evangelical was believing, well, you know, that's not the person who's wrong. It's, oh, it's just everyone has sin, you know, and that's yeah. theirs. But when you get rid of it, even that, and it's no, just like you, you, you as a person are a sin. 
Like, I mean, right. that's that's something I would have found appalling as a conservative evangelical. And it's becoming the fucking norm among a lot yeah. of evangelicals. And that's just yeah. vile. It's just fucking well, vile. Because theologically, what you're saying is that there is such a thing as a person who cannot be saved, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That th- This is the one group that's found its way out of God's love. Right. And like, I mean, that's that should be... I mean, that should be seen as blasphemous among supposed Christians, right? And yet. Right. <sighs> Man, things are fucked. <laughs> They're good to me, actually. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, things are great. Things are great. Well, um, I think we're, we're getting closer to kind of a good wrap-up point. But um, I don't know. Is there anything else you really wanted to bring up just about, I guess, kind of pulling back to growing up evangelical weird anything weird around that you wanted to talk about? I guess just maybe to say that something that I am in the process of figuring out now, speaking as somebody who has left the vast mm-hmm. majority of that shit behind, uh, left behind, uh, it's been raptured. Yeah, it's actually. been raptured. <laughs> um, is making peace with myself and, and, and being willing to go easy on myself for doing and saying and being certain ways because I just didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. Um, because when I look back on the past version of myself, I cringe a whole lot and that's not unusual. So, you know, yeah. there, there's that, that's, that's, that's not unusual at all. But I think there's something unique to the violence that American evangelical Christianity inflicts. And I regret having been, even though from a young age, I was, I was, like poking holes in things. Yeah. I still regret having been a part of it and I regret having sustained it. And I, and I regret having allowed parts of that worldview to shape many of the choices that I made in life. But also you can't take it back. You know, um, all you can do is move forward and, 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 and hope that you're doing right by people. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's how I'm trying to be. That That's how I'm trying to be now. And I, I, I don't know how well of a job, how good of a job I, I'm doing necessarily, but that's mm-hmm. at least the hope. And so I can't look back on my past and be like, well, you fucking asshole, how dare you do that? Because it's, it's, it's who I was at the time. It's the culture I was raised in. It's the only world that mm-hmm. I knew. But it turns out there's a much bigger world out there. And I, I, I regret that I took so long to find it. But yeah, but it's out there. Yeah, it's out there. No, that's a, I think that's a great kind of place to end this on too. just, um, I don't know the, uh, the, a lot of the evangelical worldview, at least if you were raised in the kind of, um, environment you and I both kind of had is about drawing lines in the sand of what is and isn't okay, isn't acceptable. And maybe some stuff fell through the cracks, maybe, you know, whatever, but on the whole, you still probably have that internalized, you know, all of us kind of do. Yeah, it's in your programming. It's a slow process, but the thing is, like, I don't know. Yeah, there's something about just going. There's a there is so much to explore and learn about out there that's outside of just the purview of what you were raised with. Yeah, Um, and it's good to explore it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I think I'll I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much, Josh, for uh, for joining me. This has been a this has been a blast. Yeah. Thank you, man. I said I'd be. I said I'd be relatively lower energy but then i got then i got all head up so you know <laughs> that's how it goes um yeah and and uh you know we don't 
uh, on our show, you know, evangelicalism is not the core of the show. The core of the shore is the core, the core of the shore. Jesus, the, the core of the show is analyzing popular culture uh, and, and particularly seeking to look at and unpack narratives in it. Um, but, you know, we, we do talk about evangelical shit with some frequency. Um, and so if that's at all relevant to your interests, I would say check out our show. Uh, it's called, again, The Worst of All Possible Worlds. You can find it in your favorite podcast platform. Our website is worstpossible.world. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash worstofall. So, yeah, hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Fruitless. If you like what you heard, consider, you know, rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts and maybe exploring some of the back catalog here. You can also find the show on Patreon. The link to that is in the show notes. Um, As I've said, I'm not doing a ton with that yet, but bonus content and stuff like that is coming in the future, and I will read your name at the end of the show and all that cool stuff. Um, Up next, I I have another interview lined up next week, so hopefully that should be out here in a a week or so, Um, and I'm pretty excited about it, so yeah. Of course, don't forget to check out The Worst of All Possible Worlds if you haven't listened to it before. And uh, if you're coming from The Worst of All Possible Worlds, uh, you can check out Manenberg, the show that I'm I'm more regularly on. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it. Have Have a good one, everyone. Goodbye.